Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 31 of the Essential X-Labs, where we're just about to take the exit off the beaten path back on to the beaten path, but uh, we still have one chapter to go in the uh, senses-shattering uh, Mentalo trilogy. And uh, I hope you've all been enjoying this little trip as, uh, as much as I have, because I tell you what, with all sincerity, this has been a very fun story to cover here. Not one that I would have ever saw us covering on the show, or me covering, period, or even just reading. And I'm just so happy that we did it, because, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, but before we get into it, I, I come to you with some news. Um, I mentioned uh, last episode that I was going up north to the mountains, and while I was up there, I went to the one comic shop in northern Arizona. And, well, uh, as comic shops tend to be nowadays... Uh, the amount of comics in there was uh, sparse, I guess, relatively speaking. Not a whole heck of a lot, but I did find the first three official X-Men indexes that Marvel put out in around... Uh, oh boy, I had them right in front of me a minute ago, but I don't anymore. Probably the mid to late 1980s. They were... Uh, maybe you'd call them prestige format. They have a spine. They have a thicker cover. They're pretty neat to look at. Um, full page of spreads of the covers and some synopsises. But the reason that I made sure to grab them was uh, because it would help us track where these characters go. Because in some of the pages, it'll be like, okay, for this character, their next appearance is in such and such book. And as you know, especially, you know, going through this Mentalo thing, you know we go off the beaten path here. This is going to be like an all-encompassing sort of thing for the Silver Age into the Bronze and modern age of the X-Men, as long as the show keeps going, that is. So, I grabbed these things so I could better gauge where we're going to be going, see what our trajectory is, see where we're going to need to pop into an issue of Fantastic Four, or Avengers, or Captain America, or even, you know, Amazing Spider-Man, and there's going to be plenty of that stuff in the future here, which brings me to what I'm trying to report here. I'm taking the scenic route, and I apologize, but uh, I was trying to figure out when we were going to reach Giant Size, you know, Giant Size number one. And when I started this show, I figured it would be episode 67, right? It would be right after X-Men 66, and we were just going to hit the ground running into the international team, into the Claremont run, all that good stuff. But no, no, it's not going to be episode 67. Um, and as we started introducing, you know, these off-the-beaten-path episodes here, the appearance in Fantastic Four, and it's going to be upcoming visits into Avengers books, uh, the Strange Tales stuff, I figured, okay, maybe it'll be episode... I don't know, 75 or 80, right? You know, fitting in right around there. And uh, again, no. <laughs> um, I actually went through several wikis, several fan sites, uh, a whole bunch of uh, very informative places to see what the uh, what the gap looked like. You know, the gap between X-Men 66 and Giant Size X-Men. All the guest appearances, all the, the focuses on the particular characters. And, well... Um, if my math is right, and it very well might not be, um, Giant Size X-Men number one, the episode of Essential X-Lapse, will be episode 124. And I mean, I'm looking at it right now um, on my little Excel spreadsheet. Uh, the last issue of X-Men, uh, number 66, is going to be around episode 82, right? And then um, from 83 to 123 are all the in-between issues here. Uh, there's, there's some crazy stuff in here, and... Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It might be a little frustrating that we're, you know, taking so long to get to giant size, but, uh, I mean, these are stories. I've read a lot of these stories, but uh, a lot of them I haven't read either, and I'm assuming that I'm not alone in that. So if we make it that far, uh, this will be a learning experience for all of us, and 
I tell you, just looking at these high numbers, I, uh, I can't wait to get there, and I hope you feel the same way. Now, on that note, how about we waste another episode on something that's not X-Men? <laughs> Let's finish up the Mentalo Trilogy. This is Strange Tales number 143, April 1966, cover date. Stories called To Free a Brain Slave, written and edited by Stan Lee. Pencils, Jack Kirby with Howard Purcell. Inks, Mike DeMeo. Letters, Artie Simek. Colors, uh, only their hairdresser knows for sure. Cover price, 12 cents American. Oh, and before we get into it, one more thing about the countdown to giant size. That doesn't include hidden years. So uh, if we were to include hidden years, um, we'd be close to like episode 150. But I don't know that we're going to do that. I do have a plan for hidden years that I will uh, hopefully be sharing soon enough here. There's there's something uh, that I'm considering doing here, which uh, may be very stupid, but uh, hey, it's not the first time for me. Anyway... With all that out of the way, let's get into the senses-shattering conclusion here. Now, this time out, we actually pick up right where we left off. If you remember last chapter, it was kind of nebulous where we picked up, but uh, here we've got Nick Fury, and he is a brain slave of Mentalo and the Fixer. Now, Mentalo giddily prepares to announce this fact to S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Fixer is all like, well, after all the work I did, you better announce it. So that makes me think that maybe we got a little bit of a schism brewing between our uh, bosom buddies here. Anyway, Mentalo informs the Shieldsters of the Sitch and commands them to lay down their arms. Dum-Dum is all, oh, hell nah. And instead, he and the Howling Shield Mandos head to a secret, camouflaged, air-conditioned tunnel at the airport, which is pretty crazy. Now, this takes them to the main arsenal depot of S.H.I.E.L.D., where we see the man who was name-dropped like a half-dozen times last issue. He's here working on a gigantic machine in order to counteract Mentalo's mental mishigas here, and uh, that man, of course, is Tony Stark. Now, the giant golden machine here makes me think that S.H.I.E.L.D. is, uh, like, readying to take on Hal Jordan back in the Silver Age. But, nah, nah, it's a neutralizer, which will come into play later on, in a way that I don't think anybody, even Stan Lee, could have seen uh, coming. Uh, Stan's kind of riding by the seat of his pants here is what I'm trying to say, and it'll make more sense as we get there. Anyway, Tony hops on a cute little scooter and is taken to the ESP division of S.H.I.E.L.D. There we see our ESP team, and they're hooked up to that brainwave stimulator machine with the blinders over their eyes. And I tell you, this scene gets a little bit creepier each time we see it. I mean, there's nothing inherently creepy about it except that their eyes are blacked out, but... I don't know, there's just something unsettling about it. I, I think, uh, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll share a picture of it. I, I think it's on one of the covers of the books that we're looking at, so take a look at it. It's, um, it's a little, uh, little weird. A little bit unsettling. Now, um, this gang here, they're not doing S.H.I.E.L.D. much good at the moment because the baddies are wearing scramble helmets and are therefore blocking their probing peepers. Now, Tony arrives and he asks Nordstrom for a sit-rep and in so doing becomes so excited that his heart begins to beat out of his chest. And so, you know, he's got to sit down for a moment. Of course, we know Iron Man has that heart issue. Uh, Nordstrom informs Stark that he is a doctor and asks if he could take a look at his chest. And Tony refuses, of course, which, duh. Meanwhile, our baddies are cooking up a miniature H-bomb. Okay, a hydrogen bomb. Okay, now, Mentalo, he's kind of surprised that the Fixer had one of these in his pocket all along. And, I mean, we talked about this last episode. Deep, deep pockets on these villains. And he asks where the Fixer got it. Now, the Fixer replies that he got it from, quote, them. But he won't say who them is. And this seems to be the only case where Mentalo is unable to read a mind. Um, I mean, last issue, he read the mind of a friggin' wall. So yeah, this is kind of sloppy. 
Though, I guess in fairness, the Fixer is wearing a scramble helmet for now. I, I don't know. Anyway, the Fixer finishes fixing the H-bomb and straps it around Fury's wrists, even going so far as to weld the fastening bits together, and, uh... I'm not sure you want to be wielding, like, a torch around a hydrogen bomb. I mean, I'm no rocket surgeon, but, uh, that just doesn't seem wise. Now, as the Fixer does his thing, he and Mentolo bicker some more about who played the bigger role in this caper, so, uh... Can you feel the tension? It's, uh, it's building. So once Nick is strapped and secured to the H-bomb, they remove his brain slave mask, knowing full well that he's going to be compliant as to not, you know, blow up half the city. Now the first thing Nick does is ask for a stogie. And as Mentolo can read the mind of Fury's desk, he knows that it's not booby-trapped. So Fury gets his cigar is what, I'm, you know, what we're getting at here. And again, uh, do we want to be lighting cigars literally inches from a hydrogen bomb? You know, as I was putting together the notes here, I had to actually stop and Google it. Like, is hydrogen flammable? And the answer is yes, especially if confined to an enclosed area, like, you know, Nick Fury's little office, so... Oh well, oh well, like I said, I'm not a rocket surgeon. This is just Wikipedia stuff. It could be completely wrong. Anyway, Fury then starts singing a song in his head, and that song is Over There by George M. Cohen, 1917. Well, he's sort of singing it in his head. Uh, it's most definitely supposed to be that song, like the Johnny Get Your Gun, you know. But uh, Stan and Nick don't know the words to it. <laughs> it's a little bit off. And uh, this was sung by Bill Murray, by the way. Just not that Bill Murray. So uh, Nick's singing, which is a signal to the ESP team. And what do you know? They actually pick up on it. Dr. Nordstrom turns to Tony Stark and asks what their next move ought to be. Tony radios the assault force, executing Plan D. And I, I, I don't want to nitpick, but I thought Mentolo and the Fixer jammed all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s communications. I thought that was like a big deal last episode. Um, maybe it wears off. I don't know. Well, from here, we see Plan D in action, and it's a very specific maneuver, as we're about to see. And I mean, like, every star in the sky has to align in order for Plan D to be uh, something that will be uh, relevant and useful here. So what it is, is we see two S.H.I.E.L.D.sters in scramble helmets of their own. They sneak up behind the Fixer and Mentolo, and they fire two capsule darts into the back of both of their helmets. Now, from these capsules seeps a liquid that makes their helmets hotter with every passing second. I mean, why didn't they just blow their brains out? I mean, they were there. They had a clear shot at the back of their head. I... Oh well, oh well. Now, since these helmets are heating up, Fixer and Mentolo take them off. Of course, that leaves them wide open for the ESP team to zap them with an ESP attack. I'm not sure what an ESP attack is comprised of, but we'll allow it. Here's the thing, though. The Espers cannot only target the bad guy, so Fury is getting the brunt of it as well. But, since he's strapped to the H-bomb, he dare not shimmy too much. Now, Mentolo at this point begs Fury to call off the psychic attack. And Nick's like, sure, yeah, I'll do just that as soon as you surrender. And they refuse. And then Nick's like, well, have it your way, and he cites that even if he dies, he'll probably win a medal, so uh, it makes no difference to him. And I mean, maybe it should make a little bit of difference, but, you know, I'm not about to argue with a man who's strapped to a hydrogen bomb. So, uh, you remember that big golden neutralizer gimmick that Stark built a little bit earlier? Well, we're about to bring that into play here. Now, Stark uses an X-ray etch-a-sketch to deduce that there is, in fact, a hydrogen bomb in Nick Fury's office. And so he informs the C and G squads that they got a blast through Fury's wall. And so they do. Now the neutralizer sizzles its way over to Fury's desk where it dissolves the H-bomb into what looks like a pile of torn up newspaper. 
Mentolo then turns to the Fixer and is all like, you know, hey bro, the jig is up, let's just surrender. The Fixer ain't having none of that kind of talk, though, and instead tosses Mentolo a rifle so they can blast their way out of there. Don't know where he got the rifles, but I'm not going to question that anymore. And so that's exactly what they try to do. They try to fight their way out. Only they wind up running right into Shield's finest. Now, after emptying their rifles in the direction of these weird metronome, like, uh, bike things, uh, the baddies leave themselves wide open to be KO'd by Dum Dum and the boys. While the Fixer is KO'd, uh, Mentolo simply surrenders and promises to spill every bean that he can. Dum Dum next runs into Fury's office to check on the colonel, and naturally, he's just peachy. He's more ticked off that his cigar got bent than anything else. From here, we head back to the ESP division, where the Espers celebrate their victory over the dread Mentolo. Nick and Tony chat for a bit, with the latter still worried about Mentolo menacing them again. To which, Dr. Nordstrom tells them that Mentolo's mutant powers have been wiped out. His threat is over forever. So, uh, someone get that man into the crucible ASAP. From here, we get a cliffhanger that'll take us into the next S.H.I.E.L.D. adventure, but since we ain't going to be covering that, we're pretty safe to stop right here. Next episode, we get stupid with Count Nefaria and some of the worst villains you're ever going to want to see. I hope you're looking forward to that as much as I am. I think I am anyway, but uh, we'll get there when we get there. For now, let's talk Mentolo. I think it's pretty clear that he was not intended to be a mutant this early on, Um, especially since, like, his powers fade at the end of the issue. Of course, he will get them back, and uh, he will come around to, uh, I think the next time we see him, or we're not going to see him, but the next time he shows up will be uh, in a Bronze Age issue of Captain America, I want to say. I I could be completely wrong there. I did a little bit of research, but it was a few days ago, and I suppose I didn't commit it to long-term memory, but... uh, yeah, he'll be back um, either in the late 70s or early 80s. And uh, hey, if the show's still going at that point, maybe we will check back in on him. I, I mean, no promises yet, but uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, if we get to it. Now, the thing I want to talk about here is the neutralizer. All right, that's kind of what this issue, this uh, chapter of the Mental Osaga is hinged on here. Tony Stark makes his neutralizer that's supposed to counteract Mentalo. Mentolo's mind readability, I would assume, because that's all that's all he brings to the table. But somehow the neutralizer is able to deactivate and disintegrate a hydrogen bomb. I, I mean, they couldn't have been planning that from the start, because Tony only found out about the H-bomb when he used his Electrosketch gimmick to, to find out what was in the room. So, why was he building a neutralizer? What was the original intent for the neutralizer? Why am I letting this bother me so much? I really don't know. Now, speaking of Tony Stark, he does have a little uh, little heart issue during this, uh, during this story. And there's no um, footnote, which I found a little bit odd. Uh, Stan's usually really good about uh, filling folks in on what they might need to know about something. So seeing Tony Stark having to sit down while clutching his chest, you might think there would be a footnote there to let readers of Nick Fury know uh, what's going on with uh, Tony. But then again, I mean, I'm guessing if you're reading Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., you probably are already at least a little bit familiar, passively even, uh, with Iron Man and his uh, his origin. Now, one thing about this story that sticks out even more than the neutralizer is uh, is the art. I, I'm I, I you know it's become a meme at this point, but uh, you know I go hot and cold on Jack Kirby. But if there's anyone out there who doubts Jack's talents or Jack's uh, dynamicism, I would show them this this issue because. It's so imaginative, it's so creative, all the stuff that he that he crafts, like the metronome bike thing. It's like out-of-this-world stuff that you would never think of. 
it, but at the same time, it's also very like innocent feeling. It's like something that a kid would make up because it would make sense to a kid, you know. Whereas practically, it doesn't make sense. In, you know, in application, it makes zero sense. But in the comic, you can buy into it. You know that there's going to be a metronome with a little disc on the top of it that's drawing enemy fire, so uh, the shieldsters could be safe. Just silly stuff like that. But the way it's drawn, it's really it's you can actually see the Kirby magic here, which I mean, only covering the X Men books, where like I said, Jack, I don't want to say he was phoning in the X Men stuff, but it was definitely not his top priority. At least you know I'm projecting here, but it didn't seem like it was. It seemed like. Uh, like the fulfillment of, a, of an agreement You know, he was just doing it because he said he would or something But here, there's uh, the true Kirby magic uh, Even, let's go into the uh, to the brainwave stimulator machine with the blinders I wasn't kidding when I said that that's a haunting image You know, you have a woman staring right at you, but her eyes are blacked out Then you have a man on either side of her facing either direction out And their eyes are blacked out It's just a very haunting and almost chilling sight like, if you were to see that image just in and of itself, you might, I don't know, you might feel a little unsettled. I, I know I did. And I tell you, for a story that I was a little bit trepidatious about getting into, um, I had a lot of fun with this. And I think a lot of folks out there will as well. Even if you're, even if, like, Nick Fury ain't your flavor of ice cream, uh, maybe give this a shot. It's, you know, it's on Unlimited. That's how I read it. So it is there. If you have the subscription, there's really no reason not to pop in and spend five minutes with uh, with Mentolo and, and Nick Fury. It was a, a really good time, and I'm very happy that we took this sidebar. Had a really good time with it. I hope you all did as well. As silly as it was, uh, it definitely wasn't boring. It was a lot more fun than I, than I ever thought it would be. But uh, I think that's all I got to say about this issue and about this little arc. So let's take a quick dip into the mailbag so I can let you all get on with the rest of your day. <laughs> now we're going to start with a letter from Billy D talking about the last couple of episodes here. Billy says, Hey Chris, I'm glad to see Essential X Labs back. I need to read up on the Fury Shield stuff from this era as well. Now Mental is a character I'm not super familiar with either, but I enjoyed hearing your thoughts. I'm also loving the letters pages. They are hilarious. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much for the kind words there, Billy. Um, this is a character, Mentolo, who I don't think many of us know a whole heck of a lot about. Uh, like I said a couple episodes back, when I posed the question on you know various social media platforms about whether or not to do these episodes, one of the uh, main responses I got back was that uh, folks were surprised that Mentolo first appeared in a S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Now, they assumed, since he is a, uh, you know, a feature character in the S.W.O.R.D. title right now, that he was always an X-Men character. And I mean, before we did this, I think I was very much in that same uh, wavelength there because, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I always conflate uh, Mentolo with Mesmero. <laughs> so uh, I was on a whole different uh, plane of uh, ridiculousness uh, at that point. But uh, yeah, it was uh, really fun to learn a bit about this guy. Also, fun to learn a little bit more about uh, Silver Age Nick Fury, a, a character who I had dismissed as just being, you know, not my flavor. And uh here I am, three story. I mean, it's only three stories, but uh, I enjoyed them. I thought they were a lot of fun. I don't know that I'll move on with the series, but... Uh, and, you know, while on that subject, if you intend to stick around with the Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, strip, and you're wondering who them is, well, I've been looking at future bullpen bulletins here, upcoming ones for uh, future episodes, and uh, them will loom large pretty quick. <laughs> so uh, it won't, you won't be waiting too long to find out uh, who them are. And I tell you, it's always nice to hear feedback on uh, the letters pages and the bullpen bulletins here, because that is uh, that's some of the fun stuff here. That's some of the stuff that I feel like might make this show 
I don't want to say stand out, because it's certainly nothing special, but it is unique to the show, I think. And it's something uh, a little bit different than you might get elsewhere. So I like being able to share that. I love being able to dig into these questions and just have a really, really good time doing so, because... Like Billy said here, some of these are very, very funny. You got people trying to call Stan out, trying to correct him on science and superhero books. Oh, it's just, it's just wild, wild stuff. But thank you so much for taking the time to write in, Billy. It really, really means a lot. Uh, next up, Chris Bailey talking about Mentalo. He says, I'm looking forward to part two. I love the first installment of our journey with Mentalo. It's a great idea doing these mini sets of episodes. It gives us a break from the main book, but also gives us a good reason to learn something. These essentials are great podcasting, brother. Well, thank you, brother, for the kind words here. Um, I think I mentioned this to you off the air, but uh, when I was doing the first episode of the Mentalo trilogy, I was wondering if we were going a little bit too far off the beaten path here. Like, who, who's gonna, who's gonna associate this Shield story with the X Men? They're gonna think that I lost my mind. But uh, I'm so glad we did it. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I know I learned a thing or two during this uh, during this little adventure here. Uh, Learned a bit about Mentalo. Learned a bit about uh, the you know the seminal months of Shield. It's a, it was a good time. It was a really good time. And uh, thank you so much for the kind words. Now that will do it for the mailbag. Uh, let's do a little bit of shouting out here. Uh, Want to thank all the great folks for uh, helping to um, you know signal boost, share the show, uh, even just clicking the heart or the thumbs up. Whatever you can do to help the show out really really means a lot to me. So on Twitter, I want to thank Schlocktopus. Corey Devorkin, Chris Bailey, Professor Allen, Longbox Crusade, Mark Jagger, Evan Bevins, Walt Nealon, The Selling Out Show, Between the Pages blog, The Longbox at Darkness, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Billy D, Joe Crawford, and Lucretia. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Chris Bailey, Walt Nealon, Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Pat Sampson, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to raise a little bit of awareness about this show and also, in so doing, making me feel really good about myself. <laughs> so thank you so, so much. But that will do it for today. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for uh, any reason, you could find me several different places. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. And finally, for all the Chris and Reggie stuff, including the complete X-Labs family of show archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And like I tell you every time out, you can find that anywhere the internet aggregates noise. So that, my friends, will do it for today, and that'll do it for our Mentalo Trilogy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I want to thank you so much for spending some time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!